resurrection. It's, uh, it's a word we use a lot, right? For instance, this weekend is uh, the Masters Golf Tournament, and Tiger Woods is trying to resurrect his career for the second, maybe third time, I don't know. Amazingly, Tiger Woods holds the record for 683 total weeks being ranked the number one player in the world. But this week, he enters into the Masters ranked 1,001. So millions of Tiger Woods fans are praying for him to resurrect his career this Easter weekend. Now, don't worry if you don't even know anything about golf. Uh, my, my guess is that you too have hopes of a resurrection. Perhaps you long for a career to be resurrected, or maybe your marriage is in need of resurrection, or, or that relationship with that old friend or family member is in need of resurrection, or maybe it's your retirement account that is in need. What is it for you? You know, maybe you're young, and so you've never had anything in your life die off. Even so, I think you know what it means when people say a resurrection is needed. Now, where does this word resurrection come from? Well, it finds its source and meaning in that first Easter Sunday. Jesus, God's son, he is the source. And listen, not just the source of the meaning of the word, but Jesus is the source of resurrection for you too, if you but believe in him. That is what this Easter passage is about, believing that Jesus is God's hope, your hope of resurrection. Now, maybe you doubt this. Well, guess what? Doubt is normal. In this passage we're about to read, the disciple Thomas was not present to witness the resurrected Jesus when he first appeared to the other disciples. And so when he heard, he, he doubted the story was true. And so, if you've ever doubted whether Jesus really rose from the dead or not, you're not alone. One of Jesus' closest disciples disbelieved. My friends, John wrote this gospel to people like you and me who have doubts. You know, we don't normally believe in things like miracles, especially people rising from the dead. This morning, we will see that it's okay to come to Jesus like the disciple Thomas. My friends, Jesus welcomes genuine doubt, but more importantly, he welcomes us. The sermon text is from John uh, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and, and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. <laughs> this is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what we've read here is miraculous. It is also food for our souls. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us insight and wisdom as to how to receive this so that we may believe and not disbelieve, that we may respond in faith and live for your glory, we pray. Amen. Last weekend, Leslie and I were in, uh, spent a week in, in Vail snowboarding. Uh, my, my brother has a girlfriend. He's had her for a year and a half. I've never met her. I don't know why he would keep, keep me from her. But anyway, I think I know why. Those of you who know me well are probably like, yeah, smart call. Um, we had it nice. It was a free place to stay. It was slopeside. It was my brother's girlfriend's brother's place. Uh, he's on the Forbes 100 list, so let's say he's you know got a little bit of money. The home is four stories, nice, with an elevator, even nicer at altitude. I was so out of breath. I'm like, I'm taking the elevator. <laughs> and it was 200 feet from the gondola. Can't beat that. You know. There's certain things about when you're in a really special place, even the little things are nice, right? And so after I washed my hands a few times, I'm like, wow, this hand soap smells so good. <laughs> and so I look at the label, and, it's, and the name of it is, no joke, Resurrection Aromatique Hand Wash. Resurrection Aromatique Hand Wash. I looked it up online, it's $40 a bottle. <laughs> I think I'll stick with my Dial brand foaming hand wash. <laughs> anyway, resurrection, it's everywhere in our vernacular, which speaks really to a longing in our hearts for resurrection. And think about it, we are quick to believe in all kinds of resurrections, quick to believe in the resurrection of Tiger Woods, we're quick to, to welcome resurrection into our retirement accounts. Uh, but we can be oh so slow 
to believe in the one resurrection that gives meaning to all other resurrections. The resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. John's, uh, the disciple John wants us to understand that, that Jesus' resurrection brings eternal goodness to all who believe. The last words in our passage, right, they're these, that by believing you may have life in his name. John is telling us that there is hope for all of us this morning, and it won't be found in scouring the headlines for resurrection. Nope, you must put your hope in the one who enters into the locked doors, the locked rooms of your life, and says, peace be with you. John wants to see that since the resurrected Jesus gives life, we must believe in him. John does this through the retelling of the story of Thomas. We see in our passage that Jesus gives us life by taking us from confusion to confession. That is what Jesus does for Thomas, and that's what he will do for you and me if we let him. So we're going to spend our time under three headings, the confusion of Thomas, the grace of Christ, and the confession of the faith. First, the confusion of Thomas. Have you ever showed up for something? Of course you have. You showed up for something late and you missed something big. Like maybe you show up late to the Yankees game and you miss Aaron Judge's grand slam, right? Or maybe it's just a party and it's the shrimp cocktail. Now something far more unsettling has taken place in our story. Thomas misses the resurrection of Christ, or so he thinks. Earlier in the day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they found the empty tomb and then Peter and John, they get in a foot race to get there, and they find out, yes, it's true, the tomb is empty. And now a few hours later in the evening, all the disciples, except for, of course, Judas Iscariot and Thomas, are gathered in a locked room. Verse 19 tells us that the disciples were hiding behind locked doors, gripped by fear. And then Jesus comes in, and he stands among them. And for the first of three times, did you catch it in our passage, Jesus says, peace be with you. Then what does Jesus do? We read in verse 20 that, that he, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. It's me. It's me. It's literally my hands, the scars. You can see where the spear stabbed me. Yes, I died, but it's me. I've risen just like I promised. We read that the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus speaks again. Peace be with you. And then he gives them a command, as my father sent me, so I'm sending you. This work of bringing this good news of the kingdom of Jesus' resurrection is now landed in the hands of his disciples and in the church. And then he, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, the, the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving to, given to his disciples. Jesus' resurrected life has been poured out on the church. Now, that's quite an encounter, right? Just try to picture yourself there, right? It's astounding. Jesus in the flesh, back from the dead. Jesus granting peace. Jesus pouring out the Holy Spirit, charging his disciples to a world-changing task. Could you imagine being there? Well, Thomas missed it. Where was it? Who knows? Maybe he's out buying bread. King Colin, you know, got sent on a shopping spree. 
Now, picture the scene when the other disciples engage Thomas with the news, right? Try to picture yourself there, too. Do you think they would have described it like Eeyore or like Tigger? I think more like Tigger, right? <laughs> like they, they would have been bouncing all around. They would have been talking over each other. We saw him. He's alive. It's really him. We saw his wounds. We did. We saw the side. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Now, for the skeptics here today who assume that people back then in Jesus' day were, they were just gullible, they're naive, they believed, easily believed in things like people coming back from the dead. Well, here's your proof that people back then weren't like that. They knew better than us today that once something dies, it's always dead. And even though Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem, he'd be betrayed, he would be mocked, and, and he would be unjustly, unjustly accused, and that he would be killed, uh, but that he would then rise three days later, even after telling his disciples that Thomas disbelieved the testimony of his fellow disciples. Thomas replies like you and I would reply with great skepticism. He said, Unless, listen, unless I see his, in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nail and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Some of you are like Thomas, aren't you? Unless God shows me and proves me, he's got to show up. I will never believe. Now, let's be clear of something. We shouldn't be too hard on Thomas. Think this through. Thomas isn't asking for anything more than what the other disciples were given. Jesus showed the disciples his physical body scars and all, and Thomas wanted the same, and so to you and me. But then we can be hard on Thomas. He could have and he should have believed based upon the testimony of others. Think about it. We depend on eyewitness testimony almost every day of our lives, right? If you were ever falsely accused of a crime you didn't commit, you would gladly welcome testimony of eyewitnesses who could prove that you were not there at the scene of the crime, at the time of the crime, right? Give me some eyewitness testimonies. Thank you. So every day we welcome eyewitness testimony. We are to believe credible eyewitnesses. And John writes in verse 31 that he has written all of these eyewitness accounts so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You and me, he wrote this so that we could read it later. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John believes that he has given us enough evidence to believe. And guess what? So to Jesus. After Thomas believes Jesus, uh, believes Jesus, uh, Jesus says to him in verse 29, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those, us, who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus expects people like you and me who are not there to believe and be blessed. Perhaps you're here today and you like the stories of Jesus, but you roll your eyes at the miracles especially with the miracle of Jesus rising from the dead. Let me present a simple argument. If there is a God, 
who created all things out of nothing, including the natural laws that govern everything in the universe, could he not, if he wanted to, suspend those laws just so he could miraculously raise his son for the dead? I think so. That's the confusion of Thomas. Now for the grace of Christ. Try for a moment to think about how we respond to others when they doubt us, right? Think about it. Fine. You don't have to believe me. Your loss. Thankfully, this is not how Jesus responds to Thomas's doubts. Jesus meets Thomas where Thomas is. He meets him in his confusion and his doubt. And this shows us the grace of Christ. You know, Jesus didn't need to return a week later, but he does for Thomas's sake. Once again, the disciples are in that locked room. Once again, Jesus miraculously enters and stands before them. To everyone, he says, peace be with you. But then he turns his eyes to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, go ahead. Put your finger here. Bend over, stare. See where the nails tore my flesh apart. Oh, yes, my father in heaven could have removed the scars when I was resurrected, but they serve as a reminder, a reminder of my love, a reminder of the cost that I paid so that your sins may be forgiven. So take a close look. Go ahead, Thomas. And then Jesus says, don't disbelieve, but believe. Jesus meets you and me in our confusion too, though not in the exact same way. The opportunity for you and me to be in that locked room has come and gone, has it not? But we can still meet with the same risen Christ because he's risen, he lives. Jesus fully expected that you and I would have his life story, that his words would be faithfully recorded, which they have been, and so that we can experience Jesus entering behind the locked doors of our own lives so that we too can hear Jesus speak to us saying, do not disbelieve, but believe. God in his goodness and his love for mankind has given us his written word and poured out his Holy Spirit so that we can investigate for ourselves. Many today say, oh, don't be a doubting Thomas. Many look negatively upon Thomas, but not Jesus. Jesus' words to Thomas aren't so much a rebuke as they are a welcome. Jesus welcomes our doubts. Problem is, many people who say they have doubts are really just full of excuses. They don't want to believe. I came to faith when I was 29. Prior to that, I was a vocal opponent of Christianity. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want to run into me. There was a whole host of truth claims that I rejected. One of the truth claims that I rejected was is that a loving God somehow allows evil. I argued that how can a good God allow evil? For many years, I would tell you that that's my doubt. But really, it was just an excuse. If you were to ask me, okay, how about studying how Christians answer that question, I would have said I'm not interested. Now, did I truly doubt? Or was it just an excuse masquerading as doubt? 
It was an excuse. I had no interest in answers. My mind was settled. Many, 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 many people ha say they have doubts, but really their minds are already settled. They aren't as open-minded as they'd like to believe. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do you have genuine doubts that long for answers? Or is your mind so settled that your doubts are really excuses? If you have genuine doubts, know this. Jesus is full of grace towards you. He will lovingly and patiently meet you where you are. So take time to pray to him. Ask him to do this. He's alive. Take time to read his word. It's, it's alive. Miraculously, he did this to me. I was a stubborn, harsh critic of Christians and Christianity until Christ opened up my heart and awakened me spiritually. I began reading the Bible. It took me like three months before I'm like, all right, I believe now. I also read one of the books, C.S. Lewis, uh, the book Problem of Pain, helped me answer that question of how a good and powerful God could allow evil. We've got that book on our book table. I also read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. There's another one on our book table. It's a good one, The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. If you, if you really genuinely want to know, those are some great places to start. All this to say, if you have genuine doubts, there are good answers. Talk with me or someone else in the church. Let us walk with you as Christ takes you from confusion to confession. Now to our last point, the confession of faith. You know, we got to realize that our faith is rooted in content. Like there's substance to be believed, things to be confessed in order to become a Christian. And then what we see here is John summarizes the content of the Christian faith in verse 31. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John highlights three things. We'll go through them quickly. Jesus is the Christ. The English word Christ is a translation of the Greek word Christos, which is a translation of the Hebrew word where we call Messiah. Messiah means anointed one or consecrated one by God, meant to, meant to carry out some important task or purpose for God. The Old Testament repeatedly speaks of God planning to send the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And that when the Messiah comes, God would restore all things through him, a kingdom of peace and universal flourishing would commence. And when you read the Gospels, you realize that, though some, that people seem to be kind of waiting for the Christ, they do not recognize him when he comes. Instead, they crucify him. To get Jesus right, you need to see him as God's Messiah or Christ. Second, not only is Jesus the Christ, he's also the Son of God. My friends, Jesus wasn't like an ordinary man, ordinary dude, you know, who just came to self-identify as the Christ, you know. He was and is God's Son in the flesh. John tells us in that famous verse from chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. My friends, God has not abandoned this world. He knows that we as human beings cannot rescue ourselves, so God himself comes down in the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. The third content of the faith is that faith in Jesus gives us eternal life. God sent his son so that eternal life can be ours by faith in Christ. John writes that by believing, you may have life in his name. We're not talking about 
life life. We're talking about life, <laughs> eternal life. You know, no matter how many times you resurrect your relationships or your career or your health, you will eventually die. There is a 100% chance in your lifetime that you will die. But John tells us that because Jesus is risen from the dead, there is hope for us too. Jesus died for your sin, yes, so that you may be forgiven. But he also rose from the dead in victory over death. So that by faith in him, we experience resurrected life now and in the age to come. And his resurrection guarantees a future resurrection for all who believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe says Jesus. You remember, remember the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11? Maybe you don't, but I mean, it's, it's enough in, in our vernacular today that, that even if you never open a Bible, you've heard of Lazarus. But you can read it. It's in chapter 11. And there's free Bibles back there if you would like one. So Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that, that their brother, Lazarus, whom Jesus loves, is dying. And Jesus arrives too late to save him, or so they think. And then we read these words. Listen closely. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And then to demonstrate that he is the resurrection and the life, whom we must believe in, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I don't think they had the uh, resurrection aromatic body wash then, but anyway. And so Jesus' resurrection from the dead means that all who trust in him will too one day rise from the dead. And listen, and not back into a broken, fallen, sin-filled, sorrowful world like Lazarus did. Poor Lazarus was raised to life back into the same world in which he died in. But we will be resurrected into a newly recreated world, a resurrected world in which perfect peace extends for all time. The place where you and I experience truly, truly resurrected lives full of resurrected relationships and health and minds and contentment. Lives finally lived in harmony with our creator and with each other forever and ever. This is the content of the Christian faith. It's what Jesus lived and died for. But it's not enough to know of this content or to believe that it's favorable. You must make it yours. You must believe that your life is a life that needs Christ. You must receive it into your life as if your life depends on it. 
This content must be acted upon. Do not disbelieve, but believe, says Jesus. Now, did you catch how Thomas responds? Thomas responded far better than the other disciples. Finally, one of the disciples makes a full and true confession concerning Jesus. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. May that be our confession this Easter Sunday. Let's pray. On the one hand, it's so hard to believe a story of someone coming from heaven, God's son, to live and die for our sins and to rise again from the dead. And yet truly, this resurrection is what our lives long for. So we pray, Father, that you would impress us all the more right now as to our need of it, as to your grace towards us, and to the new life that Christ gives all who do not disbelieve but believe. Help us to respond like this today, we pray. Amen.